We're going to go ahead and get right into it. We are on part two of this fall semester talking about Jesus on evangelism. Can somebody say evangelism? Evangelism simply means sharing, spreading, or communicating the gospel to other people. And Pastor Bobby kicked things off last week. Who enjoyed last week's message? And he talked about... He talked about focusing on the few and how Jesus focused on the few in order to reach the many. Because isn't it incredible how Jesus took everyday, ordinary people, like fishermen, all the way to a tax collector to turn this world upside down? Here, this is, this is what I've realized. Um, Jesus, you know, he isn't looking for ability as much as he's looking for availability. He's looking for people that say, God, use me. God, send me. Whatever you want to do in my life. You know, he doesn't call the qualified. He, he qualifies the call. Anybody thankful for that? He turned the world upside down from, from 12 men, and we need to understand that in the same way, if we want to reach this world, you, some people think about, you know, I got to go overseas, but could it be possible that God has first called us to go across the street to our family member, our, our, our friends, our, our co-workers, and people in our community, in our city? And could it be possible by us simply investing into our sphere of influence of people around us, we can see a chain reaction take place where we see a number of people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is why I think it's awesome that we're having the youth area open for you to go in there and write the name of your loved ones, people. I want you to think of the person that you could never imagine stepping into this building or finding a church family or coming into a relationship with God. I want you to write that person because I believe that we're going to be able to pray together. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. We're going to be able to write the names on that wall and we're going to pray together as a church family and we're believing by God. God, oh, God, by God's sovereignty and providence, God's going to give them an opportunity, and you're going to be able to go back in there with them and scratch and cover off their name, showing everyone what God has done in their lives. Anybody think that's awesome? Does that get you excited? We're talking about unchurched people. We're talking about unbelievers. We're talking about people who have strayed away. We're believing that God is going to build his church. Amen? Amen. Now, let's get to part two. Somebody say part two. And we're going to be talking about knowing the need or in your syllabus. And if you're watching online, I believe there could be a link for you. Do we have that? A link for you to click on. If not, we'll get it next week. But in the syllabus, the focus is going to be know the need. Can somebody say know the need? Know the need. When you look at the life of Jesus, when he ministered to individuals and groups, he was able to identify the specific need that they had and meet it in a way that would make the biggest impact. Like if you look at the needs and the, the situations Jesus stepped into and how he was able to meet those needs and he was able to do it in unique ways. And what I want to do this morning is I want us to take a look at a scripture where we see one of the only miracles mentioned in all four gospel accounts, which is known as the miracle where Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves where he met the need, where people were hungry. And did you know that the only other miracle that you'll find recorded in all four gospel accounts other than this miracle is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Two miracles, resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus multiplying the fishes and the loaves. And if you read the gospel of Matthew, you actually find out, find out he didn't just do it once, he did it twice. So we're gonna be reading it in John chapter six, Verse 1 through 15, if you don't mind standing in honor of reading of God's word. Anybody ready for the word? Yeah. Woo! John chapter 6, verse 1 
through 15, reading out of the NIV. Think about this. One of the most famous miracles that Jesus ever performed took place because some people were hungry. They needed some food. If you're there, say, I'm there. If not, you can pay attention to the screen or the words on your TV, tablet, wherever you're watching from. It says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick, which ties in perfectly with last week because we know people followed after Jesus because the miracles, signs, and wonders that took place. It was incredible to see all the things that Jesus had done. And the Bible even says that in the Gospel of Mark that signs follow us as believers, that when people look at our life, something should be different. And then it says, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, so he overlooked the crowd, other gospel accounts said that he looked over the multitudes with compassion because he saw that they were hungry and thirsty. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Philip, where should we get food? Where should we buy food for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. Get this. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus asked a question with the answer already in mind. This is how I know that women are made in the image of God. Because a woman will ask you questions with the answer in mind. They'll ask you today, sweetie, babe, where do you want to eat today after church? And you'll throw out a place like, mm, not really feeling that. So and you begin to throw out places that you know that they want. Because the question wasn't really a question. It was really, guess what I already have in mind. Okay, I'm, this is deep, rich revelation. Just kidding. I'm going to get in trouble after service. <laughs> Philip answered him, it would take more than a more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person just to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And when you do a deeper study in actuality, it was more like fifteen to 20,000 people because in Jewish tradition, they would only count the man representing each household. Think about that. So fifteen to 20,000 people in a field sitting down together, two fish, five loaves, but that's enough for Jesus. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. An all-you-can-eat buffet, y'all. And the other scripture translations say that he used the disciples to distribute the food. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Somebody say, let nothing be wasted. There was enough food left over. And get this, this is how much food was left over. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. In other words, each disciple was able to take a to-go basket home. Think about that. After the people saw, we're almost done, saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again Jesus to a mountain by himself. I want you to get this this morning. 
that Jesus was able to evangelize to people by meeting their needs in a unique way that would point towards their greater need for him. He was able to, I'm going to say that one more time, Jesus was able to evangelize to people by meeting their needs in a unique way that would point towards ultimately their need for him. And in the same way, I felt led to share with you this morning, church, that God has called us to be moved by compassion, to know and to meet the needs of people so that way we can point people to Jesus Christ. In other words, we have to know the needs of people. One of the greatest tools and tactics that Jesus used. Somebody say, know the need. Let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way today. God, we cannot do this without you, God. I can't speak and deliver this message, Lord, the way that you've called me to do it effectively without your Holy Spirit, God. So we pray right now, Jesus, anoint these words, God, and build your chart your church, God. I pray right now, God, that every person's heart and mind would be receptive and open, God, and this word would fall on good soul today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Give Jesus a shout of praise before you take a seat. You may be seated. God bless you. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, let's get to work this morning. Let's get to work this morning. People can say what they want about the state of America today, but this one thing I do know, who knows that we are so blessed and fortunate to live in this nation, to live in this country. Uh, because the truth is, you really don't know how good you have it until you visit some other places in the world. You want your teenager to act right? Send them on a mission trip <laughs> to a third world country. You know, um, I will never forget whenever I went on a mission trip years ago to Central America with a ministry that we support. And we were going to very impoverished areas where people lived in landfills. And... It was a culture shock, to say the least, and I had a thought, I had an idea that came in. I was like, I wonder how things would be if roles were, were reversed, if someone from a third world country came and experienced America and American culture. So one day while we were having lunch with the lead missionary there, I mentioned that to him. I said, you know, what if this happened? And he shared with me a story where he did exactly that. He had a missions work in Zambia, Africa. And there was a gentleman there, a friend of his, that had done ministry and work alongside him. And they did a number of different things when it came to schools and orphan, orphanages and, and, and raising crops. But the man had never left his village before. He had never left his country, and he desired to come and visit America. So the missionary planned to come back to the States. And this is a true story. He planned to come back to the States to visit his family in Houston, Texas. So he saw that as an opportunity to bring him with him to America. So he brought him with him. And talk about a culture shock, going from a hut to Houston. And the missionary said, you know, he enjoyed himself at first, seeing all the sights and the buildings. It was unlike anything he has ever experienced. He's only seen pictures and saw things online. And he wanted him to have the full experience. So he decided that he was going to take him to an Astros game. At the massive Minute Maid Park, I saw we had some people go to an Astros game yesterday. I don't know if you watched the game or not. Anybody go to the Astros game? I saw y'all's pictures, y'all. Golly, I never seen so many pictures on my feet of an Astros game taking place before. I was like, golly, the whole church was there? I don't even know, man. And, like, 
He went to the Astros game with him, and, and this was the breaking point for the man from Africa. Because at the very end of the ball game, whenever they were closing down and the game was over, he began to see people leave behind or throw away the food and concessions that they, that they purchased throughout the night. And after he saw that take place, the missionary said that his friend began to break down and cry. And whenever the missionary asked him why he was crying, he responded back by saying, all this food that was thrown away from this one night would have been enough to feed my entire village. And that just hits me hard right now. I don't know if it hits you the same way it hit me. And afterwards, he said that he wanted to go back home early because it was all too much for him to handle. His village had a need and lack of resources and food. Meanwhile, we have an abundance of resources and food. You know, in fact, I looked it up. According to feedingamerica.org, it is estimated that Americans waste 108 billion tons of food each year, which is equivalent to 161 billion U.S. dollars. Who knows that? We live in a culture of overconsumption and wasteful thinking at times, where the food that we throw away other people in other countries wish they had, and they would dig through the garbage for the food that we have. You know, and I, as I was thinking about that story and everything, I was reminded of another story. And I may get in, may get, may get in trouble for sharing this story because it involves my dad, Pastor Bobby. I'm going to share it anyways. I don't even think I got his permission to share it. <laughs> Years ago, we had a lady, an amazing lady, um, someone who was a, a missionary for the majority of her life in Africa, um, come and we were able to house her and take care of her. Uh, her husband passed away. She wasn't able to stay in Africa. She came back to America and she needed a place to stay. So we got her an apartment here in Victoria and we cared for her for a couple of years and she loved baking. Her name's Mimi Suber. Anybody know Mimi Suber? Like she came, she's awesome, man. And, and Mimi Suber, she would always bake food and make cookies and stuff like that. So whenever we went to go visit her, she always had something there. So one day we went to go visit her and when we went to go visit her, my dad was leaving and he grabbed a couple cookies on the way out, and we were walking, and as he was walking, and she would always walk us outside too, he dropped a cookie. One cookie fell on the concrete in the parking lot, and he said, he told me later, he said, oh, I had it in my mind, I'm going to pick it up, throw it away, because I can't eat that cookie, it hit the concrete. My dad can be clean freaking times, you know? And Mimi looks at the cookie looks at my dad, they look at each other, and she says it like this, and you know her, the kids in Africa would still eat that cookie. <laughs> and if you know my dad, like, he was like, he couldn't respond back to that, and it was on the floor while they're having this conversation, and he didn't want to hurt her feelings, so your pastor, Pastor Bobby, picks up the cookie, wipes it off, and just proceeds to eat that cookie. And he said it was so hard. Who knows? There's some people that will refuse to let food, like, food go to waste. I'm, I'm reminded of, of, of Brooklyn's grandmother. Brooklyn's grandmother actually grew up during the Great Depression. So she was taught to conserve um, her food and let nothing go to waste. And Brooklyn told me that growing up, when they went to Chick-fil-A in different places, that their grandmother, if they had any fries left over, any at all, that 
she, that she would say, give me those fries, and she would go put them in the freezer. And if they went to her house and said, you know, a week or two later or whatever, a month later, and said, you know, Grandma, I'm hungry, she would go to the freezer, get those same Chick-fil-A fries, heat them up, and say, here you go. Eat the, you know what I mean? Like, there, there are some people that will not let things go to waste. And before we move on with the rest of this message, and I was hesitant when it came to sharing this, but I want to be obedient. And this may sound corny and cheesy to some, but I came to remind somebody today that you serve a God that will let nothing in your life go to waste. Anything that you've experienced in your life go to waste. Remember what Jesus told the disciples to do with the leftover loaves, he said, pick it all up, put it in these baskets, let nothing go to waste. And in the same way, I came to tell you today, it doesn't matter what pain, heartache, trials, testing you may have experienced in life, I came to tell you today and declare to you today that God will not let anything that you've experienced in your life go to waste. Our God works all things. Somebody say all things. He works all things together for good. In your test, there's a testimony. In your mess, there's a message. In your pain, there is power. God will give you beauty for ashes. Who's thankful? I love how it mentioned that. Jesus said, let nothing go to waste. And I came to declare somebody today, there are things in your life that you thought were a waste and that you thought would amount to nothing, good or bad or ugly. And God told me to tell you today, he's not going to let any of it go to waste. Who's thankful we serve a God that lets nothing go to waste? Oh, man, we got to keep on moving. We got to get to the main point of the message. The reason I share those stories with you at the beginning is because I want you to realize as we talk about knowing the needs of people. Somebody say, know the needs. We need to understand that when it comes to everyday, ordinary people, American citizens in our life who do have careers, who do have an income, Many of them don't have a hard time meeting the basic necessities like food and shelter and water. And don't get me wrong, I understand that there are some people that do. And I'm also thankful that I'm part of a church that is part of that solution that every month made possible by your generosity and giving through our Riverside Cares and Riverside Co-op Ministry, we're able to meet the actual needs of people within this church and outside this church. See, this church was built off of meeting the needs of people. God has called the church to be part of the solution as the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm reminded whenever we moved to this location at this building, there were Sunday services where my Uncle John would make barbecue plates with chicken and sausage. And at the very end of those services, we'd have a little tent right there outside. And, and I don't know if anybody in here remembers this or not, but people would come to church and my dad would say, hey, at the very end of service, don't worry about your lunch or food. Go help yourself. We got a free chicken and sausage plate for you. And when I tell you, there was people who would have never came to church who came to church and that were impacted and changed and God did something because they were drawn in by the chicken and this. You know, we had a saying that went like this. People follow Jesus for the fishes and the loaves. People follow us for the chicken and the sausage. Isn't it incredible what God can do in the hearts of people when you simply show them that you care? Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But I was thinking to myself, how is it that America has so many things at our disposal and some of our bellies can be so full, but the need seems so great? How could people 
have a nice house, fancy car, a big bank account, but still deal with depression and need joy? How could someone be chiseled, not me, buff, in good shape, and be healthy, but on the inside feel empty and dead? How could someone who is famous and popular and people idolize and have a large social media following say things like, I feel so alone. I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel valued. How could America be prosperous compared to so many other nations when you compare us to other places, but yet the need seems so great? I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is my first point, and it's this. We need to realize, we're talking about knowing needs, that every person has needs. Somebody say everyone has needs. Every person has needs. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have needs. Needs that go deeper than the basic necessities that we need to survive. But there are things and needs that we need in order to thrive. In fact, there was a psychological study that took place in the 40s by a man by the name of Abraham Maslow. And I don't know if we have any people in here that went through psychology or counselors. I know we have some in here, and I'm sure you've heard this before. But he observed and he found out that there are five needs that all humans have. And he arranged these needs in a hierarchical pyramid, which is known as Maslow's Hierarchy of Human Needs. And this is one of the most well-known and most taught theories and psychological studies within psychology. I want you to follow along with me because we're going somewhere. And one of the ideas of this theory is that people will always go in the direction of their greatest need. That was the idea. People will always go in the direction of their greatest need. And I want to show it to you this morning. You got the pyramid back there, y'all, the five needs that we have. And these are the five needs that he found out every human needs. And as you can see, there are five stages. And with the bottom being the most basic, and as people meet that need, they go to the next need. And as you move on further, it begins to become more complicated. I want to go through each one real quick for the sake of time. The first level that we see at the very bottom is the physio physiological needs, which is basic needs that we all have when it comes to air, water, shelter, food, sleep, clothing, and reproduction, which is a G-rated term for it. You know, you know what? Then after people, it is said that once they meet those needs, that they will go to the next level, the next stage, which is the safety and security, which deals with your finances, your career, your overall health. And the third level deals with the feeling of love and belonging found in family, friends, and relationships. And then fourthly, it is said that once people get there, the next need that they have is deals with your self-esteem when it comes to being respected, recognized, and valued by others. And then finally, we get to the top part, the pinnacle of the pyramid, and this is what Maslow describes as the place of self-actualization. And this is the loftiest of ideas, and follow along with me. See, and whenever somebody reaches this top, their whole perspective and need is, I need to reach my fullest potential that I have. And this is whenever they begin to think about and become interested in things like morality, creativity, and um, things like spirituality. And according to Maslow, this is where he would have placed things like the desire and need for salvation 
and a relationship with God. He would have put it at the very top of the pyramid. Now, it would have been Maslow's opinion. I want you to get this. It would have been Maslow's opinion that in order for someone to reach the top of the pyramid, that they would need to start at the bottom, have their basic needs met in order for them to realize and understand that they have a greater need and care about, more abstract needs, which to us makes sense on the surface. You know, okay, I kind of understand what you're saying, like talking about Caleb. Like people may not care about the things of God if they have certain needs when it comes like for food and and acceptance and, and different things like that. But I came to say this boldly this morning. Maslow was wrong. Because according to scripture and according to the life and ministry of, and teaching of Jesus Christ, if it's true, which he is, he's the way, the truth, and the life. You can't argue with the truth. What Jesus taught was the exact opposite. I want to read a scripture to you guys this morning. Oh, man. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says this, Jesus, and we talked about the basic ones. Guess, look what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life more than food <laughs> and the body more than clothes? And Jesus continues to say in verse 33, get this, but he says, but seek first. Somebody say first. His kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So if what Jesus is saying is true, when it comes to our perspective on life and whenever it comes to our perspective on needs as a Christian, as a believer, this is how we should view our needs in life. Show the next pyramid, the upside down one. Do you all happen to have that one? This is how we should view life. This should be our lens in life that we will pursue Jesus, we will pursue God, and that everything else will follow suit. That's why Paul says, and you don't have to put this on the screen, in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, he said, my God shall meet all your what? Needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So when you begin to compare eternity and a relationship with God, with everything else, it begins to pale in comparison. And what Jesus was trying to make us realize and understand is that everything that we need can be found in him. And when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything, you may have a need for food, you may have a need for finances, you may have a need for friends, you may have an emotional need you may have a physical need you may have a spiritual need I came to tell you in order for you to be made completely whole and satisfied it starts with Jesus Christ and when you follow after Jesus you have everything you need Jesus plus nothing equals everything I don't need a big house I don't need a whole bunch of nice clothes I don't need a nice car it just give me Jesus if I have Jesus I'm good if I have Jesus I'm content in good times and bad times through highs and lows. No wonder the disciples would go through the crucifixion themselves. No wonder the disciples would be persecuted. No wonder the apostle Paul would be beheaded. You know what they would do? They would say, forget about these other things. Just give me Jesus. I don't need all these other things because if I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. Come on, do we have any people in here that realize that when you have Jesus, you're good. We're straight. We're settled. Jesus. Somebody say, Jesus. He's all that I need, Jesus. You want to know what we preach here at Riverside Church? Jesus. You want to know who we believe in? Jesus. 
You want to know who should be first in our life? Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. But here's the issue, and here's what I believe is, is plaguing our society and culture today. I want you to listen. There are many people who have actual legitimate needs, real needs, but they are bypassing the process and not putting God into the equation and not giving God the time to allow them to direct them because you need to realize God knows your needs before you even ask anything. God knows what you need before you even ask. And he wants to direct your needs and he wants to satisfy your needs and he wants to supply your needs. But there's people that would just skip right over God and say, you know what, I can meet this need this way through the world. And the enemy will even present opportunities. When God knows the best way to meet your needs. Think about this for a second. Jesus, he's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's tempted by Satan. And he has a need for food. Think about that. Some of us can't even last a week. Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. And one of the temptations that Satan offers to him, he says, if you truly are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds back. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds and comes out of the mouth of God. See, I want you to get this. Think about this. The need was not the sin. The temptation was not the need. Okay? It was how he would go about satisfying and fulfilling that need. See, it's not wrong to have needs. We all have needs in life. It could be one of these things on here. It could be our esteem, acceptance, self-actualization. It could be a sexual need. It could be a physical need. It could be whatever need that you have, and that's okay. But here's the, what can be wrong, how we go about fulfilling and satisfying that need. And here's what we need to realize. Satan will always present shortcuts to satisfy a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Oh, man, this is making sense to somebody right now. I know it's a little deeper, but I'm, I'm, for example, let's think about this. When it comes to things like intimacy, and I'm going to say that's word, sex, a thing that was meant to be a blessing from God kept within the context of marriage to reproduce and to bring the, the couple closer, the two shall become one, a covenant relationship. And yet there's people who have that need, and they won't give God a thought, or maybe they don't, they don't even know better, and they will casually hook up and sleep around trying to fulfill a need that they have with people that they're not in covenant relationship with, forgetting that there are consequences to that with soul ties and contamination to all different environments and areas of your life, and forgetting they don't realize that God had a better way to meet their need. Oh, man, I came to tell you, there are people in your life. Oh, I feel the anointing. There are people in your life that have legitimate needs that are trying to meet it in illegitimate ways. And if they only realize that if you have Jesus and if we have God, he will direct and supply every other need. Come on. There are people in your life that are going to the club and they're going to the bar every Saturday and every Sunday. And they're being influenced by things and they're being controlled by 
by things and they're, they're, they're being filled with, with beer and wine and things and they're trying to find community. They're trying to find just the, just the pleasure in a high moment. But if they only knew that there is a church family and that there are a people that they can come, that God has brought together where they can find community, acceptance, and love and people telling them God has something more for you. God has a plan for your life. You don't have to be controlled and influenced by things of this world. You don't have to be drunk off of wine or filled with beer, but you can be full of the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on, somebody. I came to tell you, we serve a God that knows our needs. God knows you. He knows you. He understands you. He gets you. He knows what's best for you. You want to think about the greatest need humanity has? Think about this. The greatest need that humanity has is the need for salvation and reconciliation with God. But here's the good news, and this is the good news of the gospel. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into the world, and he died the death that we deserved, and he lived the life that we couldn't live, and he paid the ultimate price on the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus Christ endured the cross, knowing ahead of time that you had a need for a relationship with God, and he knew that if he can meet that need, every other need will be okay, and you'll be completely fine. Jesus took care of your greatest need he took care of your greatest need everybody has a need for God but here's what Jesus would do what Jesus would do and it's just unique when you study the life of Jesus oh thank you Jesus anybody getting something out of this morning so far the need for God is first everything else is secondary that's why you should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the greatest message. We have the solution, and we have the answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the people only knew that all they needed was him. Oh, man, anybody believe what I'm saying this morning? But here's what Jesus would do. In order for people to understand that greater need for him, Jesus would at times meet them at their lesser need he would meet them at their lesser need in order to point them to the greater need which is him and which brings me to the second point this morning jesus met needs in order to point towards a greater need go ahead and write that down if you're writing in the syllabus jesus met needs in order to point towards a greater need i want you to think about this because this was probably one of the smartest and cleverest tactics of evangelism that Jesus Christ had because he was not afraid. I'm thankful that Jesus was not afraid to interact with the overlooked and outcast of society and meet their needs in order to point towards a greater need. Let's think about this for a second. I got like two or three examples. Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, the one who climbed up in a sycamore tree. And since he was a chief tax collector, he was very wealthy. He had his financial needs met. Like, he was fine when it came to finances. He had that need met, that, that safety and that security. But when it came to love and belonging from his society and his esteem, since he was a tax collector, he was known for stealing from his own people. And he was rejected and detested by society. So Jesus, in his eternal wisdom and knowledge, he walks by Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus needed salvation just as much as everybody else needed salvation. And this was a perfect opportunity. 
And Jesus knew he needed salvation. And Jesus is walking back by Zacchaeus. He goes to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from here. Come from there. And he says to Zacchaeus, a person that was rejected and detested by society, the chief tax collectors, he said to him, today, Zacchaeus, I'm going to be a guest at your house. Which, guess what? That was one of the highest honors during that time and during that culture to have Jesus. Like, nobody was as popular or as cool or popping as Jesus. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Everybody, like, you know, everybody wanted to have Jesus. A lot of people wanted to have Jesus at their house. Like, Jesus, you coming to my house? Yeah, like, you know, but Jesus invites himself over. You ever met somebody that invites themselves over to everything? He's like, I'm going to your house today. And it was such a big deal that the people around them begin to mutter and say, does Jesus know he's going to be a guest of a sinner? And Jesus goes and he spends time with Zacchaeus meeting that need of acceptance. Oh, I love God. And because Jesus met that lesser need, God did a work in Zacchaeus' heart where he said, I'm going to pay back anybody I've ever stole from four times over. And Jesus responds back by saying, salvation has come to your house today, Zacchaeus. He realized that he had a greater need because we serve a compassionate Lord and Savior that met him at Who's thankful we serve a God that meets us at our level? And that's the gospel. The gospel is not about me getting to God. It's all about God coming to me. I was in my lowest state. I was in my darkest state. I'm sick of people saying, I found God. You didn't really find God. God found you. He met you right where you were. You're not saved by your own good works. It's by the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. Another example, the Samaritan woman at the well. Samaritan woman at the well. She went to the well during the hottest point of the day, which meant she was trying to avoid the rest of the people in her town. I'm sure she felt shameful because, as you find out, she had five previous husbands, and the man that she was with wasn't even her husband. But guess the seventh man. The seventh man is waiting for her at the well. And she's going there because she has a need for water. She brings the jar. She goes to where the well is in the middle of the day. A Samaritan woman. Jewish people had no association with Samaritan people. They weren't full-blooded. They weren't full-breed. But Jesus meets with her. They begin to have a conversation and begin to talk. And she went there for water, and he began to talk with her. And he said, if you would have known who you're talking to, you would have asked me for a drink, and I would have given you living water. Amen. You see the correlation? You see the connection? In fact, he asked her for a drink, and then they had a conversation. And then he says, she, he begins to tell her what I talked about earlier. He gave her a word of knowledge. You've had five husbands, the man you're with, not even your husband. And he says, oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. No, duh. And get this, in that moment, they talk, she mentions, and I, one of them mentioned the Messiah, and Jesus, for the very first time, publicly and openly, reveals himself as the Messiah. The very first time is to the Samaritan woman at the well. And the Samaritan, well, this is so, this is so good. When she hears that, she's so filled with joy. A person who avoided crowds, avoided masses, avoided people, who was shameful. Jesus met her right where she was, and she went there for water. 
But she had a taste of living water that day. She had a taste of Jesus. So in her excitement, she leaves the jar of water behind, and she goes back to her town. She go, I believe it's Sychar, and she begins to tell people, come see a man who told me everything. That I she was the first evangelist spreading and preaching the gospel in her city. Why? Because Jesus met her at her lesser need, and he said, you think you need physical water? I have living water and if I give you living water you will not be thirsty I have something you don't even know of and a person that was hiding was going out and preaching and proclaiming who Jesus was and people came out and said who's this man who's this guy think about that for a second Ooh. oh my gosh we got to get back to the scripture text anybody enjoying this so far he would meet them at their lesser need, identify it, in order to point them to a greater need. Uh, now we're going back to the text from earlier. Remember when Jesus fed thousands, right, 15 to 20,000 people, and he leaves behind and he goes away? Guess what? Those same people followed him. Again, I guess they were still hungry. And I want you to read what happens right here because we see this take place right here. John chapter 6, verse 26 through 27. Jesus answered, telling those same people, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the fishes and the loaves. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus begins to talk about this other bread. He said, you're coming for this bread. You're following me for the fishes and loaves. I have, I have a different kind of bread, an eternal bread. He begins to describe a bread from heaven, and they start talking about the manna from heaven. And he says, no, no, this is different from the bread from heaven, from, from the manna that your ancestors had. This, this is different than that. And then Jesus, whenever they hear about this bread, and Jesus talks about this bread, guess what? They, they say in verse 34, he says, they say, sir, Always give us this bread. Give us this bread, Lord. Then Jesus declares, oh, get this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Did you just catch that? Jesus met, oh, Jesus met them at their physical need for bread in order to point them towards their spiritual need for the bread of life, which was, which was of himself. He said, oh, you like that bread from earlier? It's pretty good stuff, right? Probably one of the best bread you've had. Let me tell you something. I got something. I got something inside of me. I have something to offer you that is greater than all that bread. And this, oh, man, I'm telling you, this bread is different because when you taste of this bread, you will be satisfied. See, that miracle was nothing more than a sign pointing people to Jesus and their greatest need. I don't know if we have any people in here who have, ever, who have ever tasted and seen of the bread of life and the goodness of God. Oh, come on. Is there... There's nothing like tasting of God's goodness. There's nothing like tasting God's forgiveness. There's nothing like tasting God's mercy. There's nothing like tasting Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord, he is good. And because... And because and if we follow after the bread of life, let me tell you something. You can find satisfaction. You can find fulfillment because in Jesus is everything that you need. Somebody say he's the bread of life. Jesus met the lesser needs at times in order to point them to the greater need. You may be saying, Caleb, I understand what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. That's good stuff. How does this apply to me in a practical way? And that's what I want to do right now. What if in the same way 
that Jesus had compassion on others. If we can be moved by compassion, because it's been said that, that compassion is love in action, where we help meet the needs of other people with this, no strings attached, not expecting anything else back, just to, just to be a blessing to them, in order, and what if, when, what if we did that with that kind of spirit and attitude? We don't post things and we don't take a picture. Look at me, I'm feeding the homeless. Or you put anything on our Facebook or Instagram. So we, we know that whatever we do in private, God will reward us openly. But we have a posture saying, God, I just want to meet somebody's need in order to point them to it. What if when we have the attitude and disposition, that's when God can do his deeper, deepest work where people realize that they have a greater need for him? I can't tell you how many times we've done outreaches as a church where we're, we're a blessing and we show ourselves hospitable towards people and we're generous people it happened this past month with with the single mothers outreach i was made possible by your generosity we were able to supply single mothers with diapers and formula and things that they needed and there were some of them that asked us why are you doing this right now you, you don't have to do any of this and we responded back by saying we did this because god has been so good to us jesus loves us and we want you to know that he loves you and it's in those moments y'all where people begin to break down and cry at times and they give their life to the lord and they come to places like this why? Because somebody met them at a lesser need, and when the opportunity came, when it came to, you know, why are you doing this? We point people back to Jesus. Anybody understand what I'm saying so far? It's practical, but is, it, is, it, is there something to that? Or is it just me? Is there something to that? You have an opportunity every day to help meet the needs of others, and it could be in the form of covering a meal, saying an encouraging word, showing love, or being a good friend. Ask God to direct you and lead you to help identify the needs of others, and ask God for wisdom on how to respond, because could it be that people won't realize their greater need until they have their lesser need identified or met? We just want to point people to Jesus, and you may be saying to yourself, Caleb, I don't really have much to offer. I don't have much to show myself hospitable towards people and be generous to people. All it took, whenever Jesus is involved, for him to feed 15 to 20,000 people was a little boy, two fishes, and five loaves. It was a long John Silver's combo meal with extra rolls on the side, and I'm sure Peter or somebody took it, or maybe he offered it up. But when you, duh, when you give it to God, and you say, God, I, don't, I may not have much, God. God, but I want to be a part of your plan and your purpose to reach people as your hands and feet. Remember, the disciples are the ones who distributed the bread because with, with by yourself, it's little. But, but you can, it's, here's the thing. I can say two things right now. I can say one thing right now. And it could be interpreted in two different ways by what I said and how I said it. Many times it's not about what you do. It's about how you do it and the love and compassion that flows through what you do. When's the last time that you were a blessing to someone? When's the last time that you met the need of somebody else? When's the last time you went out of your way? You didn't do it to get recognition from people. You just did it because you said, I want to lead people to Jesus. I want people to understand that there is a God that is real and active and alive in my life. And if the people only knew that if they had Jesus and they follow after God, everything else is going to be all right. Alicia, you can go ahead and come up. This makes sense to anybody this morning. We're coming to a close. Oh, my gosh. Here's my closing thought for you. Evangelism, and this is a famous quote, 
Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread, talking of Jesus. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. Because whenever you've truly tasted and seen of the bread of life, you can't help but to share that same bread with other people and point people to Jesus. Because you need to realize there are so many people that are spiritually starving and they are spiritually hungry and they're starving for different needs and things and they're going and bypassing God and they're trying to fulfill legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. But if they only knew by you representing God, by you showing them, no, there's a better way. You can put God, you can follow after. Come on, you have an opportunity to share the gospel and to meet the needs of other people and there will be times y'all because we talk about evangelism there will be times where some people reject the bread they reject the gospel they say no I'm good you're crazy you're crazy going to that Riverside Church, having your hands raised, doing outreaches. I see you on your Facebook post. All you do is talk about, you know, like, it may not make sense to some of you. You know, the Bible even says to the world, the cross looks like foolishness at times. It may not make sense to people, but don't let rejection and the fear of other people, people keep you from evangelizing and talking and sharing about the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. I want to end with a story. I want to end with a story. A couple years ago, um, there was that restaurant. I don't know when it closed down, but I think it's closed down. They still have a sign. It's over there in the Whispering Creek area by Marble Slab. I don't know why I always talk about food at the very end of my messages. I guess I get hungry. <laughs> but it was called the House of Bread. Anybody remember that? It was right next to Papa Murphy's, which I don't. It's no surprise they closed down. I don't know why you go in there, buy pizza in order to take it home and heat it back. I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 some people said it was good. Anyway, okay, let's keep on going. So the house of bread. One day, me and my dad went in there in the house of bread. I don't know. We were just were interested and wanted to check it out. So we go in there, and the, the manager, the store owner's in there. And we're fixing to just get some bread and stuff. And <clears throat> true story. They tell us how they have all this bread that they need to get rid of because it's about to expire and go bad in a couple days or whatever. And my dad responded back by saying, no, 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 no. Don't let it go to waste. It's okay. Look, look. Let us take it. Not for ourselves. Let us distribute it to people in Victoria that may be in need. So we were able to get that. And it was fancy bread, y'all. It wasn't just white bread and wheat bread. It was like some fancy bread with berries and cinnamon and rolls and all that stuff. Right? We're like, man, this is some nice bread. Right? So we go around town and we begin to distribute it. And there were some people that were so appreciative. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, that's so nice of you. And then there was this one gentleman who we've seen before on one of the most busiest intersections in Victoria, right there on Navarro. And so, oh, I've seen that guy before. Let's give him the big piece of bread. So I was like, you know, I was like, you know, I, we weren't trying to do it. This was years ago. We're not trying to do this for everybody to see us. We didn't tell nobody about this. I think it's maybe the first time we're publicly saying this. And I went to him. I said, here, man, here's the bread, and he, you know, and I understand there's situations where some people aren't all the way there and stuff like that, and, you know, I don't know his situation, his upbringing or whatever, but I remember he grabbed the bread. He didn't say nothing to me. He put it right there on the light post, right there in the middle, right by Navarro, went back and didn't say nothing to me. I was like, okay, well, you know, I did my job. So we leave. Next day comes, drive down Navarro. 
bread's there on the light post. A week passes by, I drive past there, the bread's still there on the light post. A couple weeks pass by, bread's still there. Months pass by, the bread's, me and my dad had a bet going, like not a bet really, but it was just like, when do you think that bread's going to be gone? It was turning green, it looked rotten and all nasty, and I ain't going to lie, at one point I was like fed up, and I was like, come on man, like that's a perfectly piece of bread. I could have eaten that bread. And there's people passing by it and going around it and walking past it, and the bread is still there. And a part of me was like, you know what, that's why I don't help people. That's why I'm not, you know what I mean? That's why I shouldn't help people with, with their need. You ever met somebody like that, right? It's like, you know, they don't trust certain people because they've had one bad experience. They're not a blessing to anybody else. We've done outreaches before, y'all, where we fed thousands of people, especially during Hurricane Harvey, where we distributed, we were partnered with the food bank, and somebody came up to me and they said, Well, Caleb, what if somebody takes advantage of it? What if somebody doesn't appreciate it? What if somebody puts it to waste or whatever? And we said, Even if it's for that one person, even if it's for that one child, even if one person doesn't go, goes to bed not hungry or starving it was all worth it and God reminded me and he said Caleb he may have rejected it but even if there was one person that you blessed and they were satisfied it was all worth it and I came to tell you today the same is true when it comes to the bread of life maybe you've had a bad experience in the past sharing Jesus sharing the gospel even if it's for that one person that one individual in fact put on the screen John chapter 6 verse 66 get this when Jesus tells them about the bread of life look how they respond it was a hard teaching. You can read it more. He said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. He begins to give him a hard teaching. In other words, he was saying, you're following after me for stuff, but I am the source. Follow after me, not the fish, but the bread of life. And because of that, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Then Jesus turns around to his 12 disciples and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. There were people that rejected the bread. There will be people in your life that will reject the bread of life. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to believe that God's going to touch them and minister to them. But can I tell you something? Jesus still had the 12. And if you can just reach one person in your entire life, if you just bring one person to Jesus, if you point one person to God, it was all worth it. Because don't you know, the Bible says that when one sinner comes to repentance, that all of heaven, all of heaven rejoices and shouts. Don't you know that we serve a God that will leave the 99 for the one? And some of you were the one. You were the strayaway. You were the runaway. You were far from God. But we serve a God that cares about every single soul and every single person. I wonder if we can be the type of church that will meet the needs of people, no strings attached, in order to pe point people towards their greater need, which is Jesus Christ. Come on, let's sing it out right now. God's moving right now. Oh, we speak against that stinginess. We speak against that selfishness we speak against that greed right now in jesus name we will be people that are generous we will be people that are compassionate come on right now worship him worship him he's the bread of life in him is everything you need everything you need presence right now. And all the earth will shout your praise. You know he's the bread and you know he's the source. Can you pour your worship? You're all we need, Jesus. 
satisfaction and fulfillment from things of this world and I've overlooked my greatest need and that is the need for Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and maybe right now you want to make amends you want to get your heart right you want to repent you want to say Lord forgive me Lord I believe in you the Bible says that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God that God raised him from the dead that you shall be saved and right now in this moment in your own way to say Jesus forgive me Jesus I love you Jesus, I need you. I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you died. I believe that you are. Come on, make that profession and confession of faith right now. We all need a relationship with God. Jesus didn't die for rules, religion. He died for a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. I'm going to pray over you before we leave this building. Come on, continue praying. I'm going to pray that God will give you divine opportunities and moments to identify I mean, there's some prayers that you are praying for other people to have their needs met, but could it be possible that God wants, you, wants to use you to be an answer to that need? And there can be same, the same need met in unique ways. God can give you wisdom. You're not by yourself. Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask for divine appointments and wisdom and, leading of your, and the leading of your spirit, Lord. So that way we can be a people, God, that help meet the needs of people. So that way we can point people towards their greatest need, which is Jesus. And I pray right now over every person, God, that is so concerned and worried with their needs in life, God. We thank you, Lord, today that we can find encouragement and peace knowing that if we have you, Jesus, we have everything that we need. So right now, in Jesus' name, we pray over those that are lost, God. We pray that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, these things have your way today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Give Jesus a shout of praise if you received the word this morning. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you want to sign up for water baptism, whatever it could be, go to the Connect Center. We want to meet you. We want to give you a I said yes bag. But come on, isn't God so good? Come on, turn the person next to you and say, he is the bread of life. Oh, weekly challenge. Before I forget, if you want to know the weekly challenge, write in your syllabus. Here's, your, here's our challenge to you this week. Help meet the need of one person this week and see what God can do through you. One person. Remember, if, it is, if it's just one person, so feel free to write that down. God bless you, church. Come on, turn the person next to you and say, he's so good.